You're listening to Two Sons of Tatooine. If there's a bright center to the universe, you're listening to the podcast that it's farthest from. And here are your hosts, Jonathan and Nathan. Greetings and welcome to another episode, installment of Two Sons of Tatooine, the only Star Wars podcast that still assigns homework uh, to me. I am one of your hosts. I go by Nathan, a.k.a. MP Bro. And I am joined today, as always, by my co-host and good friend, Jonathan Cohn. And we are excited to mark the return of Mike Self, who has been on hiatus for several months, but returns to us now. Um, Our episode today, we will be discussing the Legends novel, Kenobi, by John Jackson Miller, friend of Jonathan Cohn. Mm, small boast there. <laughs> we will discuss their friendship, all of the dark details that they that they exchange in their in their uh, <laughs> notes to each other. I'm going off topic here, um, <clears throat> but we'll discuss the book, the deeper themes, the twists and turns, all that you could want to know about this novel. And Jonathan is going to provide some history and context behind the significance of the book. And hopefully, all three of us will give you our unique reading experiences and and glean from those things from some insights. So, Jonathan, you'll be steering things, but uh, to begin with, uh, Mike, why don't you tell us your overall thoughts on Kenobi? Kenobi! Thanks, guys. Glad to be back with you. First of all, you you said uh, John Jackson Miller, friend of Jonathan Cohn. I I prefer to call him friend of the show, because then that includes me by extension. (laughs) I'm I'm a friend of Jonathan, and thereby I'm also a friend of John Jackson Miller. Um, hmm. who, who wrote this book, which is one of, I know it's one of Jonathan's and one of my favorite Star Wars books, and he's certainly one of our favorite authors. Um, yeah, this was my third read of Kenobi. Um, okay. And Jonathan knows this, and you probably know this too, Nathan. I am a pretty slow reader. I, I am a pretty, I don't read uh, nearly as quickly or as prolifically, if that's a term, as, as our esteemed uh, host, Mr. Cohn. But with this book, and I don't know if it was because it was the third read-through, but I really flew through this thing. Um, And it's just, it's one of those, I don't know, the the mark and the sign of a good book to me is it's one where you can read it uh, over and over and over again. And, you know, each time you read it, it, uh, you you maybe discover something new that you hadn't noticed before or that you had forgotten. And it's like reading it again for the first time. And it just has such great... um, I don't know, staying power, you know, and and that's definitely one of these books. And one of the things that I kind of paid particular attention to this time, because I thought I thought Mr. Miller did a terrific job of of this is sort of past, present and future for the character Obi-Wan Kenobi, because trying to just trying to sort of figure out all the different, you know, forces, pun intended, (laughs) all the different forces that are at play that are sort of, um, you know, motivating him in the different things that he's doing, because you have the past, obviously, with Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, which he addresses, I think, most often in his meditation sessions where he's speaking to Qui-Gon. And obviously, in Obi-Wan's past, in his recent past, when this when this story is being told, you know, he's just filled with great regret, great regret and great guilt um, about what has transpired with, you know, with Anakin. Um, so he, he's dealing with a lot of regret, uh, and, uh, you know, intense regret that I think is dictating a lot of his actions. Then you have, like, the future. Like, his purpose for being on Tatooine is essentially securing the future of, of a free 
civilization through uh, through this child that he is watching over from a distance, you know, through Luke. So he's got his purpose that is anchored in the future because right now Luke is an infant and he's a baby, and there's really not anything that he's doing right now. Um, and and, and Obi Wan is sort of, you know, he's got that future purpose through Luke, but also in the present. There's the present tense where he is really torn. Because he sees all around him, everywhere he turns, there are people and situations that need the assistance of a Jedi Knight. And he happens to be there and just so often feels compelled to get involved in these situations and help. And yet every time he does, he risks exposure. And he risks, he's putting the larger mission at risk by helping out in these day-to-day things. And you see the inner, you know, the wrestling that's going on day-to-day. You know, he wants to just... For the sake of the, the overall mission, the big mission, the big picture, um, he wants to just go out into the desert, into the Jumlin Waste, and disappear and watch over Luke and cease to be Obi-Wan Kenobi and just be old Ben, the hermit. But he can't do that um, in, this, in this book because time and again he's pulled into you know, people's lives and, and, and in situations where oftentimes if he doesn't intervene, you know, something terrible could happen. Someone could die. So you got past, present, future. All these different things are pulling on Obi-Wan Kenobi, and it's just a great <clears throat> character study, I thought, of him. And I really tried to focus on that more on this particular reread. But, um, yeah, it was, again, it's it's one of my favorites. I'd put it in my top, you know, three or four of Star Wars books that I've ever read, and uh, I was excited to get to read it and talk about it again with you guys. Man, that was deep. That was fantastic. Yeah. I, I, I think we can end it there. No, um, uh, man, I hadn't thought about the past, present, and future thing. I think about th- thought about the past because he does in those meditations dwell a lot on the past. But yeah, there is a lot of discussion about the present and the future as well. Uh, I, Mike, you might uh, you might feel this too. I kind of felt in the same way. You know how sort of Shannara, you have um, Alanon who is kind of like watching over everything in between books. I'd be, this is basically if they wrote a book in between Sword and Elfstones where Alanon is basically watching over and waiting for the next big thing to happen because um, they're right. very similar type of characters. Uh, and reading the book this time, I, I, I made that mental note of, ooh, I want to see Terry Brooks write that next. Um, Nathan, <laughs> we, other than like a few quick texts back and forth, we have not gotten much uh, uh, perspective from you yet, uh, so I'm interested <clears throat> to see where you landed on this book. Well, I'm interested to give you my take. I, I'm wondering what are most people's take after reading this the first time and how that differs between the second and third read like Mike had talked about. You've read this how many number of times now, Jonathan? This was my fifth reread, or fifth read okay. total. <clears throat> Since that first read, how has your opinion changed of this book? And then I'll tell you mine. Uh, I liked it. I really liked it the first time I read it through, but my second time was when it solidified it as my favorite book. Okay. So one of the things that I tend to gravitate towards is is stuff that has a balance of character and plot-driven stuff, or at the very least, things happen. Mm-hmm. And... This novel was a challenge for me because things did not happen for a very long time. Mm -hmm. One of the text messages that we exchanged was, hey, (laughs) when does stuff happen, basically? (laughs) When when does this get good? When does things, you know? So we meet a lot of characters that I'm not invested in to begin with. Um, And I, I really understand why he 
as an author, he really got into the normal routine of things. Mm-hmm. And this book is all about Kenobi's adaptation to a lifestyle he's never lived. His entire life as a Jedi has been fast-paced, I'm sure, <clears throat> of a exploring and adventure, everything under the sun. But obviously that part of the storytelling is is slow for a reason and i think necessity you know it, there's a necessity necessity that not a lot of stuff really happens on tatooine that's why he's there partially they're mm-hmm. hiding hey, it's a good place there's not the empire there's you know so all of those choices make sense to me i as i as i retrospect on this novel i, I ask myself the question what could i have done what would i have done were i in his shoes you know and and i don't know that i would have done something different my only my thought was, and this is stupid, but my thought was, I would have just not wrote it. <laughs> I would have just not wrote it because, you know, what could I have written that would have had more stuff? I don't want more stuff, right? Because Kenobi doesn't need more stuff. Mm-hmm. Maybe the show will prove us wrong right. when he goes off planet. Um, <clears throat> but I asked myself, could I have enjoyed it more if there were, let's say, a close call with some Imperials? Would I have enjoyed mm-hmm. that more? Maybe, maybe that would have made made me more invested. Um, could have I enjoyed it more if, you know, the relationship thing with Anna Lane had gotten more, you know, I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't think so. I, w- I will say this. The characters, I think, that were really well done, that I enjoyed reading, I guess, o- Oren's character, Anna Lane, or Anna Lane, and, and Kenobi, and then uh, a yark, a yark, mm-hmm. a, a yark. Right. Those are the four characters that are this book. Those are the four characters. The kids of them, they keep getting oh. mentioned. Mm. But I, I hated all of the kids. <laughs> <laughs> Which is you're kind of supposed that, to. So okay, okay. Well, you, I would have loved. To s- yeah, I find, <laughs> I find, I find uh, Callie endearing a little bit, and Jabe. I'm just like oh, you, stupid teenager. I, I find myself thinking about, <laughs> about Jade. And then Oren Galt's kids. Oh, they're terrible. They are horrible. Oh, Ugh. his, yeah, his they're, kids they're, are they're awful. Um, but I, that's, I'm really happy because that's a better reaction than I was anticipating. Um, usually, I'll say this, usually the more silent you are on a book before we start reading it, the worse, the worse you, you're, where the discussion is. So I was, oh, I, I was so nervous about this. Uh, so you did, it's, not, it's not as well, uh, resounding bad, but. I can appreciate – so if it's a resounding – that's not what it is. No, yeah. it's, it's not a novel that on its first read stuck out to me as something that I would love to go through again. But you talked about one of the things that you picked up on the second time through that was a reference, you know, et cetera. And this is one of those type of stories where I think you probably glean so much more on a second read through. Mm-hmm. And I, I tend – you know, from I, I think I'm a pretty dumb person. On on average, I benefits a lot more from reading things a second time because I'm pretty stupid the first time and I don't pick it all up. And that that happens to be the case here. Maybe I would really benefit, enjoy it. I hope one day that I have the craving to go back and and then I'll give you my thoughts. Gotcha. <clears throat> but it wasn't my favorite. Oh yeah, it wasn't I, my favorite. Uh, I, I I don't think anything's gonna unseat Thrawn tr- treason for quite a while. Um, uh, we'll, we'll find one though. We'll, that's that's our goal. Admiral is to find Savage. One. Yeah, Savage. Totally uh, destroy you. 
<laughs> um, so uh, I probably don't need to do this because uh, you all know, but this is my favorite Star Wars novel of all time. I, I, I've read, it's the mm. one I've read the most uh, five times. Absolutely love it. Um, the last time I reread it was back in 2020 during the height, <clears throat> like during April 2020 during COVID. Um, uh, and Mike and I did it for that, for the, the Night's Roundtable podcast. And that time I remember that was when I, one, looked up the Star Wars, uh, page to see what they had written about the book. And they had actually included the maps and the building outlines. So most authors, they just write the book, but John actually commissioned a map that showed all of Tatooine or at least all of the, the general waste area, and it put on the map where all the significant events of the book were. And then he also commissioned this outline of what Danar's claim and the Oasis look like. And I shared this mm. with Mike back in the day, and I thought that was so fascinating, the detail <clears throat> that went into that. Um, uh, and this time, I was noticing the jokes a lot more. I was actually laughing throughout the book at little jokes. I noticed that, you know... Uh, Oren just has funny lines. Uh, Annaline has a lot of sarcasm in the book. And Obi-Wan makes a lot of um, uh, uh, references to his past that are very veiled. Like, whenever Annaline tries to get something out of him, he purposefully deflects. And it, it makes her so mad. And I just found it funny. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and he's very, he's very clever in a lot of his ways. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, that was definitely this really old guy, Wild Ulbrich. He completely destroyed all the Tuscans on his own. I saw it. Oh, yeah, he totally did it. <laughs> those, those interactions were funny. Um, I do have some uh, interesting context for the book. So this book, the idea for it came out in 2006 when, he, when John Jackson Miller was a comics writer at the time. And they wanted him to write a graphic novel featuring Kenobi. And he pitched this idea which was the skeleton of the story. They realized way too much of the book was internalized with the characters and wasn't externalized, and so they couldn't do it as a graphic novel. So instead, mm-hmm. they, um, uh, they, they put it on the shelf, and John Jackson Miller actually did the comics adaptation of um, the Indiana Jones movie, uh, uh, Crystal Skull. He had to do that. Uh, and this sat on the shelf for quite a while. And then about 2011, 2012... He was offered this book and uh, as a novel, and he did it, and um, it ended up winning the Scribe Award, which, if you don't know, the Scribe Award is the premier award for Italian authors. So if you write Halo novels or Mass Effect or Star Wars or Star Trek, whatever, it's the premier uh, award. And for some reason, I don't know why, the Media Tie-In Fiction Association behind the Scribe Awards does not like Star Wars. Um, they love the others. They like Star Trek, and they like um, a, a lot of Western uh, tie-ins. But for some reason, Star Wars does not get nominated as often. In the, in the last, I think it's 14 years, Star Wars has only been nominated 11 times. And there were, they, were, uh, they were potentially open in 75 categories. So uh, that it was, it's crazy how few times Star Wars has been nominated. And this book won the Scribe Award and was one of only two books for Star Wars ever to win the Scribe Award. So it was quite an impressive, um, uh, it was quite an impressive feat. 
And uh, the only other book that won it was uh, uh, the uh, Rise of Skywalker uh, junior novelization, which uh, uh, wasn't particularly amazing, but they mostly gave it out of respect to Michael Kogi um, because he had done three novelizations in a row and they were all pretty good. Uh, and he had, he had lost the one before. So it's very, very few times that Star Wars wins. And John, I don't know how he does it, but he is always, almost always nominated. He's been nominated four times, twice for Star Wars and twice for Star Trek. And he won one Star Wars and one of the Star Treks. So he's, he's kind of one of the darlings of the, the Scribe Awards. And so that, I just thought that was a very impressive. And it went against the book um, From History's Shadow, uh, which is a Star Trek book, which I just read. They, they came out in the same year, and they went up against each other in the same year. And they were both, like, top-tier books in their genres. So it was a tough category that year. So I just find all that context interesting. Um, to begin with, uh, I want to thank... Uh, Nathan touched on the cast. Uh, Mike, what are your thoughts on, on the overall cast of the book? Um, yeah, there were... There were some characters that um, you know that I that I liked a lot. I, I'm I'm kind of I'm with Nathan on you know the main the main characters. The character the first time I read it, and that is one thing that that you get the first time that you're not going to get again. Is this book's got a couple mm-hmm. of fairly significant reveals and right. and surprises, and and one of them obviously centers around one of the characters that Nathan mentioned, um, Oren Galt. And mm-hmm. even, you know, even Obi-Wan early on in the book, when he's, when he's meditating and he's speaking to Qui-Gon, mentions early on, you know, I, I kind of like this, this Orin Golf guy. You know, I like mm-hmm. him, you know. And then later on, you, you, see, you hear him in another meditation with Qui-Gon where it's after they have had, you know, the, 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 the Tuscans, the Sand People have attacked the compound. And um, the you know, uh, Orin Galt and his posse, they follow them back out into the desert and essentially massacre almost mm-hmm. 50 of them. And and Obi Wan witnesses this, and he sees Oren perhaps being a little too eager, maybe maybe taking a little too much pleasure, you know, in in what he sees is sort of an act of, of of vengeance and just a massacre. So so his opinions begin to change of Oren. But at the end, you know, when it's discovered that Oren and his kids, who I agree are are obviously they're written to be very unlikable, and they are they are extremely unlikable. Although there is, you know. Oren had another son who was killed mm-hmm. uh, by Tuscan Raiders, and and the and John Jackson Miller points out that that has had a extreme has had an extremely debilitating effect on, in particular, uh, Vika Galt, who is who was um, the tw- the twin sister of of the child who died. So she that just wrecked her, just wrecked her life and destroyed her life, and now she's basically an alcoholic. And and the other one, Mullen Galt, he just seems like a thug, basically. Mm-hmm. And then you, the more you find out about Oren Galt, at the beginning of the book, you're like, "Wow, this this nice guy's kids have really gone off the off the uh, you know off the reservation." And then you find out, no, you know, they're kind of a lot like their dad <laughs> because their dad's not a, their dad's not a good guy at all. Because you find out, you know, that Oren and his kids have been they have been <clears throat> staging Tuscan raids to try to get people to sign up for the settlers' call for protection. From the Tuscan Raiders, they've been impersonating, dressing as you know Tuscan Raiders, and raiding various properties around the Junlin Waste to try to get people to pay protection. So it's an awful, terrible scheme, and he's in deep to the wrong people. He's he's in, you know, he gets paid visits from you know Jabba the Hutt's cronies, and he's just in all sorts of 
trouble and he's dishonest with Annalene and he's dishonest with the, you know, some of the money and it's just a mess. So Oren Galt's character for me, the first time I read it, I remember thinking, wow, they, they really had me fooled. I thought mm-hmm. he was a good guy. And by the end you realize, okay, plug eye is not the villain. Uh, Oren Galt is the villain. And that was, so that, that character for me was, was, was one that I really uh, was, was fascinated to follow, you know, the character arc. Um, I like the character. I like the character Annalene. I, I like that. And to <clears> me, I think the two of you, having been far more familiar with Rebels and Clone Wars and some of those other things, to me, the concept of Obi-Wan having a romantic interest was new. That was new. Mm, right. Um, because I know there. I know there's, is it Satine, I think is yeah. the, um, mm-hmm. but I'm not familiar with that story. So seeing Obi-Wan uh, kind of in this uh, dynamic with Annalene where there's, uh, I don't know, there's, there seems to be feelings, you know, perhaps going both ways. I, it, it, that was new and interesting. So because I hadn't really seen that before, um, so Annalene's character, Orin Galt's character, <clears throat> and then the, the plug eye character. That was the other big reveal, Jonathan, as you well know, is that you get about halfway through the book and you discover that the lead Tuscan Raider, you know, is in fact a female, which was which was a big surprise. So, uh, yeah, as far as the other characters go, I mean, obviously Kenobi is is. The headliner, and I thought his character was extremely well written. But there were others that were that were very interesting as well. Right, and um, with Oren, I remember reading that the first time, and I was I was genuinely shocked at his turn. And every <laughs> reread, I've noticed more of like the groundwork that's set in that to show you how slimy he is. Just subtle comments from the narrator where it talks <clears throat> about how like. Uh, uh, how oh, I'll try to get him one more time, and it and it's written more in such a way that it's I'm not trying to help the fund. I'm trying to to make me money, and it's hmm. they're, but they're written in such a way that they're not so obvious that on your first read through you're gonna be like, oh, he's he's like he's he's evil at the beginning, <laughs> and then once he turns, boy does he turn and he just keeps going down down in the despicable hole, and I. Like, I remember thinking, okay, you're bad. You're, you're getting worse. But the moment he suggests marrying Callie, I was just like, okay, you're, you're insane. <laughs> and and Annalise the same way. She's, she's at least tolerating him, even though she's not agreeing with him. But once he suggests marrying Callie, he's like, okay, get out. <laughs> um, uh, with your, th- we'll, yeah. get ba- we'll get back to, 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 Anal- to the <laughs> Yark thing in a second. Um, uh, what did you think, uh, Nathan, about that opening scene? Uh, not, not the very beginning, not the prologue, but the scene where uh, the, the Tuscans attack the place, they get spooked by the settler's call, and then they all come in. Um, you texted, you said you were still kind of having trouble determining the characters. Do you have any thoughts thinking back on that? Yeah, so we did text about this. Um, Ulbricht and Oren... Oren and Ulbricht, which to me, those were sounding really similar. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all the characters have the same name. How do I tell them apart? <laughs> um, type thing. Um, and maybe, Anna, I mean, obviously Annalene was different, but um, the, a lot of the earlier stuff was me going, okay, what's really going on? What What's going on? I mean, trying to piece together. I do know what you're talking about. There was a scene, basically the Tuscans, they attack... Mm-hmm. The, you know, which was, uh, it was called, what was it called? The it was claim? a farm. Danner's? No, no, 
No, before that, oh. I'm talking at the beginning where they uh, they attack the little farm <clears throat> and they kill kill the old man and they leave the the, the wife and the kids. And you have any okay. thoughts about that one? I don't, honestly, when you when you asked me that, I thought to myself, "Do I remember that?" <laughs> and the answer is the answer is no. That's unfortunate. So, well, it is. Then, but tell me, tell me what, tell me what I missed in that scene that might help me. Well, one thing is that scene a lays the groundwork for quite a bit of you understand the two perspectives, the Tuscan perspective and the settler perspective. And it really, I think, I mean, this is obviously a Western. It really emphasizes the metaphor of the, the, the Western settlers versus the, the Indians. Um, uh, and it really makes both sides complex. The, the Tuscans are not pure evil, and the settlers are not pure good. Um, uh, but yet you still, you still empathize with, um, uh, with, with both sides and you still realize, you know, the heroes on both sides situation. And with yeah. the, with the Tuscans, you realize that the, 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 the call is the sound of a crate dragon. And to them, they are fearful of crate dragons, which later on you realize that yes, cause there actually are real crate dragons on Tatooine, but also the call is associated with the settlers coming in and wiping out Tuscans. And they kind of have, you know, fear because Anakin wiped out Tuscans before uh, in, in, in Attack of the Clones, which comes up several times. And so to me, this scene in particular sets up a new hope where Obi-Wan uses a crate dragon call to mm-hmm. scare away the Tuscans. And you think he's literally just over there. They could see it's just one man. But maybe it's not just because it's the crate dragon call. They realize that that is always followed by settlers coming, and they see him as a settler because uh, they've seen him in the past. Uh, and so, mm. uh, to me, this added a lot of context to A New Hope, uh, which I really, I, I really appreciated. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about it in such explicit terms on my my first couple of reads through. Well, talking about the Tuscans, isn't it interesting? that since Mandalorian, we've started, and Boba Fett as well, both of those shows have painted them in a light differently than the original movies did. Mm-hmm. And this book, it's along that same track, but doesn't this isn't this released in like 2013? 13. 13? Right. <clears throat> so this is well before. But the idea of a more civilized people than we gave them credit for, or at least the development of a culture within... Um, that's something that I want to give credit for. Although I feel like that's not the only thing. Cause the, the fact that it was a female, mm-hmm. that a yark was actually female. That feels like it's done in every single book in 2020 or right. 2022, whatever right. year it is. It's it, like everywhere now. I don't know if it was as common then, Oh no. but it wasn't, it was only 10 years ago. So it, it, but it really, feels like today it's everywhere. Yeah, I don't know if it was a big deal then. It's not as big a reveal now, first of all, because in Book of Boba Fett, there is a female Tuscan that you, that you see in there who's like leading <clears throat> like a warrior, head warrior. However, back at the time, it was a b- pretty big reveal because even, even then, there, were, there weren't many Tuscan stories. There were a few comics here and there uh, that touched upon the Tuscans, a few short stories, but really not that much. So the, the common mythos about the Tuscans was really about a male-dominated um, power structure. And even this plays into that 
in the way that it's writing. At the beginning of the book, they, uh, John Jackson Miller does not, it, first of all, doesn't reveal that she's female, but he also talks about how traditionally the men are the ones that are going on these raids. And so he plays into the idea that a yark's probably a man, but never uses pronouns. Uh, every time I read through the book, I'm like, okay, when, does he ever refer to a yark as he at the beginning? He just does, a yark said this, a yark said that. He doesn't even play into the they said this. He always just says a yark. And it's, on, on rereads, I was like, hmm. oh, that's a tip-off. That's a tip-off. If, hmm. if they're refusing to say the, uh, and this, he's not, you know, he's not going, buying into the, the gender stuff of today where, oh, the, it doesn't, like, he's just saying, he's just not revealing what, what the gender of the, of the, of the character is. Um, but you're right. It doesn't have the same weight today. And I feel in a similar <clears throat> way to, you know, you watch uh, Star Trek, the motion picture. And you were like, oh, man, this thing's so slow. It's so boring, which it is. But to, to a lot of people who saw it in the theaters, that was big. The visuals were so impressive. The, the effects were so impressive. And so there's a sense of you have to respect what it did at the time. And so that's how I feel about, about this reveal, that this was pretty much ahead of its time. My only other thought was that in Knights of the Old Republic, the Tuscans are that same way. And we learn about their kind of history. They have oral traditions of passing on. They have like a storyteller in mm-hmm. the tribe. And so we learn about the way that they, you know, even talk about Tatooine when it was populated with like oceans and was this vast, like, totally different climate. Mm-hmm. Um, so that oral history passed down. Um, other than that, it, it was it was interesting, and I liked the way that he tried to blur the morality of the Tuscans, mm-hmm. um, even though they're still obviously way more capable and willing to kill, willing right. to do whatever. But they have a they have a higher goal. And that goal really translates to they want to recruit Kenobi eventually. They want him to be their avatar. They had this legendary prophecy, too, mm-hmm. uh, about some kind of warrior that would deliver them. Um, and you're, I kept wondering the whole time, at what point are they going to m- mention Anakin, like, slaughtering the women and the children, everybody? Right. And they do. They do. But I kept wondering, is this the one or is this somebody else when they kept some of those stories? Right. Did you have that confusion too, or no? I I knew it was I knew it was Anakin, but it's very interesting how <laughs> Obi Wan is kind of figuring it out. They refer to someone with a laser sword doing it. They refer to slaughtering everyone, and Obi Wan's like, "How long ago was this? About three, two, two, three years ago? That's about the." And you you can tell he's thinking that's about the time that Anakin was back here. I wonder if that was Anakin. Like he's 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 not explicitly having those thoughts, but you you can tell he's thinking it, and it almost makes him a little bit more sympathetic to the Tuscans because throughout the book, Obi Wan is blaming himself for Anakin's downfall. In the meditations, he talks about how maybe if he had done things differently, Anakin wouldn't have turned to the dark side, and none of this would have happened. And so he already blames himself. And so just the fact that it was Anakin that killed the Tuscans automatically makes him empathize with them on a deeper level. And uh, uh, I actually pulled up the quote. We talked about this in our uh, our quotes episode of our favorite quotes in Star Wars. And I'll bring it back up because it's such a good quote. And this is mm-hmm. from Obi-Wan in, in the book. He says, the galaxy is full of creatures that are nothing like us at all. We can try to understand them and we should. 
But even if we accept that they're doing what comes naturally, one is not beholden to comply when the Sarlacc asks for dinner. Um, uh, which I just think is so deep because it shows that he's like, nah, I am not sending Jabe over to the Tuscans. I am not letting them have him. But I understand why they, why they want him, why they fe- feel the need for revenge. Um, so I just thought that was a super deep moment of it. Uh, Mike, do you want to go into more about the Tuscan mythology and the, the way they're handled in this book? Um, yeah, it was... It explored sort of an unknown territory for me. Uh, you know, and it's, I'm glad Nathan pointed it out. Some of the recent series we've gotten have involved the Tuscans quite a bit. Um, you know, especially the Book of Boba Fett. You know, I'm thinking, you know, he... Um, a lot, there was a lot of, uh, you know, him ended up with part of with a Tuscan tribe, and uh, we saw quite a bit of that in that show. But this was several years prior to that, so this was sort of new territory. The Tuscan Raiders all we really got from the, you know, from the original trilogy in in the New Hope, and then we also got it in the prequels when you hear Kleeg Lars talking about, um, you know, the the Tuscan Raider party that, uh, you know, that kidnapped. Shmi Skywalker, and then several of them went out in an attempt to rescue her or to avenge her death, and only, like, 30 of them went out and only four came back, and he talks about the Tusken Raiders as being savages, and um, certainly there is a, there, you know, I don't think John Jackson Miller glosses over their savagery by any stretch of the imagination. We do see them as, um, as, as, as brutal and as savage and as single-minded, but he, there's a lot more depth there to it, and it's like Nathan said, there's it's not merely a black and white type thing. There's there's some gray area with the Tuscan Raiders, which we obviously haven't really, I hadn't never really seen before. Um, I was fascinated by the tale of I think the name was uh, Sherrod mm-hmm. Het, and I may yep. not have that last name correct. You got it. I think it was Sherrod Het. He was a Jedi who had left the Order and had come to Tatooine, and you know, and and I think it was it was a Yark who was telling this tale because it was her sister who married Sherrod Het, who was a former Jedi who had come to live with the Tuscans, and, and Ayark says, that's unheard of and unprecedented. And she's like, you know, the what the Tuscans will do when their ranks are depleted is they will kidnap. Mm-hmm. They will kidnap and assimilate people into their into their tribe uh, when they lose, you know, um, members of their tribe. But what is completely unheard of is an outsider voluntarily coming in and joining the Tuscans because, either, no, first of all, no one's crazy enough to try and do that. Mm-hmm. Second of all, if they are, they always fail. They're, they're not going to succeed. They're not going to be able to withstand the punishment, the trials, the rigors that go along with being a Tuscan Raider. Why would anybody want to? And if they wanted to, they wouldn't be able to. And this guy, Sherrod Het, was able to do that. And he ends up, uh, uh, through a series of circumstances and events, he becomes a leader, uh, a clan leader for the Sand People and and they end up in a war, a battle with the Huts, and he ends up perishing in that battle. And then that's how—that's kind of how a Yark becomes uh, the leader. And Nathan mentioned this a minute ago, but they eventually, she eventually sees Kenobi as the heir apparent to Sherrod Het. Okay, we had, you know, because she sees him. It's so cool. I love it. One of the things I love about this book the most is these these glimpses of. Obi-Wan Kenobi the Jedi that we get in just watching Ben Kenobi kind of live out his his daily life. Like, um, a Yark sees him rescue Callie Caldwell, uh, who had ridden some ridden a, an animal, a dewback, out into the desert and, and was about to be <clears> killed, <throat> and, and a Yark is witnessing the rescue attempt, and he sees, or she sees rather, you know, Obi-Wan, although she doesn't know who it is doing it at the time, she sees him 
use the force to, you know, basically suspend, uh, you know, this do-back in midair and save Callie Caldwell and, and doesn't quite know who's responsible for who, who wields this power at first. Is it Annalene Caldwell or is it this, she calls him Harry Face. <laughs> that, that's his name. There's, there's the smiling one and there's Harry Face and there's Air Shaper. There's all these different names that the, that the Tuscan Raiders have for the, for the settlers because they obviously don't know, don't care to know their real names. But, um, but seeing, you know, comes to find out later that it is Obi-Wan who wields this power and then wants to recruit him and wants to kind of, you know, basically that. And then she says, okay, there's got to be something or someone here that he really cares about that I can use as leverage to, to compel him to become a Tusken Raider. And obviously there is, although she doesn't know that it's, that it's Luke, but there very much is someone that Obi-Wan would do anything in the world to protect, probably even become a Tusken Raider. So, right. yeah, mm-hmm. it was interesting to, to, to learn more about the, the Sand people, the Tusken Raiders, and um, to learn about their origins and, and their history. I, was, I thought that was one of the more appealing parts of the book. Right, and I almost kind of laughed when there's a literal point in the book where he's like, hmm, maybe joining the Tuscans isn't so bad. It'd be a way for me to be anonymous. Uh, <laughs> and, you're, and as the audience, yeah. you're like, oh, no, no, don't do that. <laughs> and he doesn't. Um, I'm glad you... I think, I think ultimate, yeah, ultimately, I think it's got to be the, uh, just the idea of the layers and layers and layers and layers of clothes you have to wear on a desert planet uh, that, would, that would dissuade anybody from signing up to, to join the Tuscan <clears throat> Raiders. And how fitting was it that that ends up being Oren Galt's fate at the end right. worse than death worse than worse death, than death. Mm-hmm. way yeah, worse i mean he ends up you know being you know basically conscripted into the tuscan raider clan and that's just a, a living nightmare for him and it probably would be for anyone honestly and i really appreciated hmm. in that sense that the tuscans this marks a step in their move forward technologically because before this time they don't care about water like like how like they don't care about technology other other than like their rifles. When they acquire water, they're using melons. They're using other other methods that we see in um, uh, Book of Boba Fett. But in this, a Yark realizes, hey, we can get water out of these um, uh, out of these machines. But she still doesn't realize it. So she conscripts him and says, all right, we'll keep you alive as long as you. Uh, you work this machine and it works for her because it's a way for her to step forward technologically, but without her people becoming dependent on that technology and losing the cultural significance of the warrior tribe, because they still need to go out and fight and pillage to keep themselves as they were. And, but, but yet it still marks an important key to their evolution. And if this was a canon book, we should see something down the line where Tuscans start evolving in their technology more. Um, but obviously this isn't, so they don't, we don't have to see that in Book of Boba Fett. One, one more thing real quick. I loved, uh, I loved how this book grows the mythology surrounding uh, Anakin wiping out that, that clan of Tusken Raiders because when that happened in Episode 2, which, you know, that movie came out in 2002, so that's 20 years ago, and, and we see Anakin wipe out this, this, you know, this band of Tusken Raiders, and we go, well, you know, okay, lost his temper, avenging his mother's death, um, you know, and, but when you read about the Tuscans and you read a little bit and you find out more about them and, uh, again, when we encounter them in this book, their ranks have been depleted. They're really struggling and just fighting for survival. I got the sense, uh, I got a sort of a sense of a picture of back when that happened, they were more powerful and they, you know, you see you know, all, all the effort and all of the different things that go into their training and into their combat training and the mythology surrounding Anakin single-handedly 
wiping out, slaughtering. And again, yes, there were women and children, Tusken Raiders, but there were warriors in that clan as well that he that he slaughtered in you know in, in one night and, and just sort of single-handedly. It really grew the mythology around that. Um, I, I also thought that was that was neat. It almost shows a Yark's respect for for Obi Wan. She's like, "Hey, I know what you guys can do. I know you guys can <laughs> slaughter a bunch of us. I want to turn that around." Make you one of us. You slaughter all the all the settlers. So she's she's a savvy leader that she tries to to switch out uh, with with Obi Wan. Um, uh, going to another point in the book, you have the prologue where uh, you're starting in the bar. It's an unknown person, and all I really like how Obi Wan just shows up with a baby, and they're like, "Um, this isn't a nursery here," uh, and 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 then. <laughs> Obi-Wan literally does nothing to antagonize anybody ever. He is like the nicest guy in this book. He's even the, he's the guy that, oh, I'm sorry, let me buy you a drink. Like he's even, even in a new hope he's, he, he offers to buy Ponda Baba a drink. Let me get you something. And then, uh, the, the brawl breaks out and there's literally a moment where he leans over to Wyle and it's like, here, hold the baby. And Wyle's like, what, what am I supposed to do with this? And he just goes off and fights. <laughs> and then he, he's like, thank you. And he doesn't even get the directions. He's just kind of hoping. <laughs> and so I, I thought that was hilarious. Did, did you have any, uh, did, you, did you find that as funny as I did, Nathan? Well, it, it, that was still the intro. So I wasn't right. able to like, I was trying to piece together where and what, you know, and time period. I didn't know. But I was like, okay, well, a baby, probably Luke, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's asking where the Lars homestead is. <clears throat> Definitely he's trying to deliver, you know, get the Amazon Prime to start <laughs> for you. Um, <clears throat> and, and I was, uh, you know, but I was, still, I was still not able to, like, view that scene the way that you did with such enjoyment. But it, still, it was, it was good that he realized afterwards, he's like, I probably shouldn't use my lightsaber. Right. <laughs> this is the this is the time where he's like, wait a minute, I'm gonna have to make some big life changes, and it's not <laughs> gonna be easy. And so that that was the main takeaway I had from that scene was, oh, I can't really do this anymore, can I? Yeah. This this <clears throat> marks a, a determined shift in the struggle of the Jedi versus the Sith because for <clears throat> you know a thousand years the Jedi are outward. They're not hiding themselves. We're the Jedi. We're going to use the Force to save the day. The Sith had to kind of be in the background, and they're kind of like, ah, you don't see me using the Force here. Um, uh, And this time, it's reverse. Uh, Palpatine and Vader obviously using the Force, and and their their, their power of the Sith is on display. And here, Obi-Wan has to learn to be the exact opposite of what he's been doing for the last 10 years, which is to be quiet, to be hidden, to be, um, uh, to, to be, uh, you know, protective. And so I, I really appreciated that you see the struggle within him and, uh, you know, and it's not just that scene. It's also later scenes. And, uh, you know, he kind of got lucky in that scene that everyone was drunk. So nobody remembered that he used the lightsaber. (laughs) Um, also lucky that that was a different, uh, setting. Um, going into the midpoint in the book, we have the event where the Tuscans attack the, um, the, the, the Danner's claim at the Oasis. And the settlers go after them, and Obi-Wan and Annalyn go after them too. And there is a market scene where um, you see Jabe and, and Oren and the others 
just killing the Tuscans, just killing them all. Mm. And Annalene and and uh, Obi Wan are just sitting there watching. And at one point, uh, Obi Wan says, "What do you think of this?" And she says, oh. Oh, "This is so very bad." And then he responds with, "Good." And she she's confused by that. And she's like, why, why are you saying good? I just said it was bad. And he's realizing, no, you don't think it's good to slaughter innocents or at least to just outright slaughter people. You are, you are the, the moral center of this story. You're the, he's like, Obi-Wan, he's already converted to the, this belief system, but he's using her as a way to try to help change the settlers for the better. And even when he doesn't want to, he is changing the settlers for the better. So I really appreciated that aspect of it. Uh, you seem to remember this a little bit better, Nathan. What were your thoughts on this whole sequence? Um, just that what you talked about, you know, the way that, you know, the obviously we're we're like at this point we're still getting the the whole morality issue because mm-hmm. that's one of the major themes of this book. So the morality question is asked to, to Annaline, and she has the right answer, right? But we as the readers are like, yes, kill the kill the Tuscans. <laughs> um, and <clears throat> morality in Star Wars, it's it's often handled different author to author, book to book, um, situation to situation. I think about Yoda handling the clones when they turned on him versus Ahsoka mm-hmm. handling the clones when they turned on her and the bond that she had with them. She was not capable of attacking them. Mm-hmm. And Yoda was just like. Guys, I'm sorry, but boom, 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 <laughs> you know. Um, and obviously the Tuscans, they're not, you know, fully evil. We're, we're learning that. But should we, you know, should we root for a character who's, like, taking everybody and slaughtering them just to prove a point? Or was he really protecting, like, the settlers and the, and the you know, the oasis by going overboard the way that they did? No. And so... That really just the whole the way that it highlighted the moral question is how it serves the book, um, and you really already covered that. So that's really all the input I had. And <clears throat> that moral question is kind of changed a little bit from killing to saving later on, where there's like one of my like so my favorite <clears throat> tropes in literature are redemption and self sacrifice and sacrificial love. And so when you kind of combine all three together, where the, in the scene where Jabe is captured and, you know, Jabe, he's, he's, this is the first time he's done this, so it's his first offense, but he still was pretending to be a Tuscan to, to, to intimidate Wile. And uh, during this scene, you start empathizing with him less. And yet Obi-Wan approaches the Tuscans and is saying, what do I need to do? How can I do it to save him? And there's one moment where I joked re- earlier about him thinking, oh, maybe I should join the Tuscans. But there's one moment where a Yark says, your life for his life. And Obi-Wan considers it. And that shows that even though Obi-Wan doesn't really know Jabe, of all the Caldwells, Jabe's the one he knows and likes least because Jabe's always making fun of him, calling him crazy old man. Also, this book kind of shows where he gets gets the name Crazy Old Ben. Uh, but Jabe's not the one. Like if this was if this was Annaline or Callie, you could see he totally self sacrificed himself. But the fact that he goes after Jabe, it kind of reminds me how Aslan sacrifices himself for the the least Pevensey, uh, which is uh, Edmund. 
and it shows a similar type of self-sacrifice that I really appreciated. Did you did you think that too, Mike? Uh, well, yeah, I I am now. I'm thinking <laughs> now that you've uh, yeah that you've talked about it. Um, yeah, Jay was definitely the one who. It's because we know obviously we know where Obi Wan stands, and I remembered that scene too. I'm glad you brought it up when they're watching the massacre, and 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 Obi Wan in that moment, um, and I I think Annaline surprised herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think she fe- I don't think she felt about it the way that she expected to feel about it. This is the woman who lost her husband mm-hmm. to Tusken Raiders, right? And has every reason to watch what's happening and celebrate it, and at the very least, if not outwardly celebrate it, uh, condone it and support it. And she finds herself instinctively saying, mm, this is bad. And then she goes, wait a minute. Why, why is this bad? Why do I think this is bad? And, and you're right, Obi-Wan just says, good. And But you go on further down the family line, and I feel like Jabe is the one that is on the fence. He can go either way. Um, he and, and you see him, he idolizes Vika Galt, and he idolizes Oren Galt. And he's, he's going their way in terms of how he feels about this whole issue of Tuscan Raiders. He even says at some point when, when um, Annaline, you know, chides him for taking part in the massacre, and he tells her, look, they're Tuscans. Mm-hmm. We killed Tuscans. What's the big deal? They're Tuscan Raiders. They're sand people, you know? And, and that's his, but I think that attitude, you know, Obi-Wan doesn't give up on him because he's so young, and he's still very impressionable, and that can be changed. You know, the, that, that, that attitude can be changed, and I think Obi-Wan realizes that. Um, so, yeah, that was... I love I love that particular scene and that that conversation that they have at such an odd time, such a strange time, and and again that just feeds into this. You know, the whole time that Annaline is interacting with Obi Wan, she can't she cannot figure out what this guy's deal is, right? Mm-hmm. Like she multiple times she asks him, "Who are you?" I mean, "Who are you?" You know, and he won't obviously give her any straight answers because he can't. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But but yeah, that's just one of those moments when he asks that question. You know, how does this make you? How does this make you feel when you see this? What do you think? And it's just a, you know, it, it's just one of those signs that point to there being so much more than meets the eye when it comes to Obi Wan. And you know that that book ends with at the very end of the the book, he offers Oren so many options. Um, so many oh. times he says, "Turn back, turn back." I think he says it like either seven, eight, nine, something like that. So many times he tells him to turn back. And every single time, if Oren had turned back, yes, he'd have to face the settlers. Yes, he'd have to face those consequences. But Obi-Wan was willing to give him a second, third, fourth, fifth, 17th chance. You know, he's constantly showing that I'm willing to forgive you. I'm willing to forgive you. But Oren never accepts the opportunity to, 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 to be redeemed. And it, so it even further shows, okay... Oren, you've gone too far down the dark side on this. <clears throat> and it shows that Jabe yeah. was someone who hadn't, because when Obi-Wan saves Jabe and brings him back mm-hmm. to Annaline, the first thing that Jabe says is, man, I misjudged Obi-Wan. Maybe he was right. Mm. And you realize, oh, good, Jabe, you're still, there's still hope for you. And so it shows very opposite ends of the spectrum on redemption. Both were given ample opportunity, but only one accepted and one didn't. And show it provides a, a good dichotomy. There's a passage. It's on page 264. Um, it says, uh, Annaline had kept closer watch on her son, Jabe, since the Tuscan massacre. The boy wasn't out of control, but for some reason, Jabe wanted her to think he was. Ben seemed to share her concern, and he says this. Ben says, when people show you signs, it's important to read them. Right. And 
and again, I go back, everything, Obi-Wan is gripped, gripped with remorse and regret that he didn't see where Anakin was headed. Uh, he didn't see or refused to see what was happening to Anakin and where he was going and, and where he ended up and what he had to do, uh, what Obi-Wan had to do when he, when he finally realized what Anakin had become. So now he's, he's, he's telling her, look, when people show you signs, you better pay attention. Okay, you better keep your eyes open, and you better, and it, and it's better to act too soon and too much than too late and not enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, changing gears a little bit from there, uh, I wanted to get into some of the other aspects of the novel. Um, uh, Nathan, at any point, did you see Oren's desperation? You know, between the the him bringing in the people, look, Emily, <clears throat> I really need this. Um, uh, or when he buys her the sp- like, was there any point where you had figured out his desperation uh, up until the point where it's like fully revealed, or uh, was it fully shocked? Well, you and I did text about this, so um, you must have had some smugness as you read my text message. <laughs> you were talking about Oren and said something like, "Oh, he's a scumbag." I said slimy, <clears throat> slimy, or something like that. And I must have said something like, he's not that bad. You're right. Yeah, I remember um, that. <laughs> I, I purposely that? did not reveal that he was fully evil yet. I just said, he's kind of slimy. <clears throat> the damage was done. I'm too clever for that. So at that point on, I was like, okay, clearly he's taking a turn for the worse. Um, the stuff with he, with, with Jabba's henchmen, when he, you know, he stuffs his pockets on the way out. Right. Um, uh, you know, after... Basically, like, he, he's trying to get away. He, he could have just gotten away with his life, but no. He's like, I'm going to steal, too. Um, like, they're not going to know that, <laughs> that you did. Um, but he's, he starts from, from really there on to be revealed a whole lot worse in every decision. The, the desperation leads him to, okay, I'm going to manipulate this situation. You see gifts like the like the speeder to Annaline. Mm-hmm. You see the you see the situation where he's going behind her back. In, I particularly remember the conversation between him and Annaline regarding like marriage and how she's like you you never really said anything you know <laughs> not until Kenobi came around right you never had you know. <clears throat> Um, it's like you had me on the back burner this whole time, <laughs> but yet, but yet, you know, like the details of my business and how much money we pull in. And apparently you've, you know, and he's sitting there talking to her like, well, the bank's already said that they'll finance this rate if we're married, since it'll be, you know, counting both of our incomes and all this like, and she's just knocked off a rocker with the detail that he's gone to overthink and to, and really... At that point, you realize it was all about himself, like mm-hmm. you've talked about before. The way the language is written, every time before then, he was, you know, like the Saturday's call or whatever. Um, it must have been, it must have been small foreshadowings, but yeah, the guy was the guy was out for himself. He was number one only, and um, <clears throat> yeah, I I didn't think at the beginning that he was that bad, right? But Which is good. It means that it means that he. Once his turn happens, you see, oh, the evidence was probably there, but he, it's not so obvious that at the beginning of the book you're just, like, ready to peg him, uh, which I think it, it shows the good <clears throat> writing. And I did like how at the beginning of the book, 
there's times where they're arguing, they're fighting back and forth, and you have um, uh, the Zeltran woman. She says, <clears throat> just kiss her already. <laughs> I love, that's a very, uh, like, TV show trope. Uh, um, but here's here's what I didn't like, right? Okay. I feel like they pushed him to the point where he wanted to like he wanted to like take out Kenobi at the end. Right. Like, yeah. Let's let's kill Kenobi. Um, I was like, nah. I I thought that was way too far for his character. Um, it showed a level of de- desperation uh, that maybe that, that they felt that was necessary. I just didn't like it, and maybe that was because I kind of wanted to like the character and. That was like, no, I can never like a character <laughs> who wants to kill Kenobi. Right. But it's also funny how he has no redeeming qualities. The second that he finds out that, you know, Obi-Wan is a Jedi, he's the only person who learns the truth. Right. And, you know, he's sitting there going, wow, this is crazy. You're the Jedi. Wait a minute. <laughs> All I have to do is turn you over to the Empire and I can make a bunch of money, you know. Or, you know. And seriously, this guy, he... The depravity of his mind. Um, maybe that was a, that was something that you know you guys felt was a really big payoff. It, to me, that was the that was the payoff. But it, um, <clears throat> I didn't enjoy the story for the action. I guess as much as as other stuff. That, that but I did enjoy that part. That part was that was part was good. It's just, I, I, why did he fall so far? Why did he, why did he do that? And why did they not have any chance? Like, I don't know. There's some characters who are just totally bad. I guess he's a bad right. apple. And he and, and and he had plenty of opportunities, and he just never accepted them. Uh, I guess that's the point: is turn back when you get the chance to turn back, and it's it's harder to if you don't turn back when you get the chance. Right. After a little bit, mm-hmm. the next time it's harder to turn back, and every step you take further is just harder and harder and harder, and you're more committed to the lie, to yourself, to the charade you're pulling on the settlers, to the. Tuscan subterfuge thing, well, fake subterfuge thing. Right. Um, and it's and it's great how at the end you're expecting it's settlers versus Tuscans. Ah, that's that'll be all great. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, where'd the huts come from? And they just pull up and they're like, all right, we got all the huts power here, and you're getting it set up. And then all of a sudden the great dragon shows up, and it's like, oh man, yeah. all hell's breaking loose. That is uh, that's reminiscent of Battle of the Five Armies when right. um, you've got you know elves and dwarves that are about to go at it, and then all of a sudden um, you know the real bad guys show up, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they join forces. So yeah, yeah, and I like that it was Annaline that called the uh, that called the uh, the huts, and she's the one that gives mm. Orin away. She being the one person that mm. Orin thought he would be able to trust. Uh, that the one person who would be on his side on this. Uh, and so it's funny that like, and that also goes to, you know, Annaline has this character transformation where at the beginning of the book, she is very much has reasons to hate the Tuscans. And she's the one that basically saves the Tuscans at the end by bringing in this other force by bringing in the huts. And, uh, uh, you know, she's the one that truly has the redemptive journey in that sense that she uh, she saves innocent lives uh, by by basically ruining uh, Orin's. Uh, so I, I appreciated that. Um, uh, John uh, has always talked about how he's he's a big TV guy. He's he's followed a lot of TV over the years, and one of his favorite uh, TV shows uh, was Cheers. And I texted uh, you guys about this, but I I noticed that at one point in the book when when Kenobi's name is revealed. He's like, oh, man. 
uh, maybe it's not too bad. And he's like, maybe it's maybe only a couple of people know. Maybe it's not too bad. And he opens the door. Kenobi! <laughs> and I have bookmarked the line. And it says, the man's eyes widened at the sound of his name called out by the clutch of people at the end of the bar. Uh, mm. And it's it's noticeable at the end of the bar, kind of like cheers. And I can totally see the, this cheers scene happening. Um, and there were many references and, and jokes like that throughout this book and other John Jackson Miller. He, every, every book he has has a TV classic TV reference that I like. Um, uh, I'm trying to look at all my notes to see what still I, I wanted to cover with this. Um, uh, the meditations. We haven't talked about this yet. I made a prediction at the beginning because this has been the case with most people. I, I, I know Nathan, were the meditations your favorite part of the book? <clears throat> they had the biggest disappointment. Right. Um, right. <laughs> But, um, you know, when you, when you talk about Obi-Wan Kenobi's dialogue, it would have been served... To, to, to do it the way that they did, it showed a lot of the, it, the, the loneliness and mm-hmm. the isolation that he experienced. But we know, based off of dialogue that he got from Yoda, like, training I have for you. So he is trying to train to, how to communicate with Obi-Wan, or with Qui-Gon, and he's attempting over and over again. Um, <clears throat> and it would have been really, really satisfying had that paid off. Right. Which, which the meditations to me were enjoyable um, because it's one of the only times that Kenobi's being himself. Right. Instead of having to lie and pretend. Um, and it's interesting the one time he gets overheard, too. Right. Which oh. I didn't know what was going on at first because the chapter ends with this like a sudden presence outside mm-hmm. and it's just, it's just Callie. She was like sneaking up to try and like spy on, on Ben or Obi-Wan and outside of his window. And she's like, Hey mom, I heard him say the name Kenobi, you know, um, <clears throat> or something like that. Right. So, so I, I think the meditations were as far as a design point, like a really brilliant way to let us have Kenobi as well. I just wish I would have been so much more entertained as a reader if there had been somebody to listen to this dialogue or to respond to it. Right. Or, so, you know, something like that. Um, and and I, like, I get it. I get it. But that's what right. I think. Um, a lot of people, their favorite parts of the meditations, because a lot of people going into this book think it's all going to be meditation. Think it's all going to be Qui-Gon's, I mean, Obi-Wan's point of view. <clears throat> So, so when a lot of people read right. this, they're shocked that Obi-Wan is not the point of view character. And his point of views only take off about 15 pages worth of it. Almost the entire book is everyone else's point of view. Now, he's present throughout most of the book, but he, he, he's very rarely the point of view character. And so this is a very effective way to get a little bit here and a little bit there, see his perspective as we're going along, but still tell the tale from the outsider's perspective. And the satisfaction of Qui-Gon answering, this is, this is the one criticism I will, I will give the book, is I was so mad that Qui-Gon never answers at the end. And all I needed was Qui-Gon to just say two words. All he needed at the end of the book for me was to say, good job or good work. Or something, something like that to indicate, A, he's been listening, B, he can respond, and C, to show the growth 
between Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon's relationship to, to leave a little bit, ooh, maybe the next book they have full-on conversations. This book was a bridge book from when he first gets a Tatooine to when he first starts communing, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And instead, you get nothing. And every time I close the page on the book, I'm like, please, in my, in my head canon, oh, Qui-Gon responds at the end. But I, I've, <laughs> I've been alluding for well, a couple... Well, if I was the author... I would have written it, and the second that you've got the huts coming in at the end, and you know it's the big uh, clash, that's when I would have had um, Qui Gon's voice come in instead of a meditation, and he just speaks inside Kenobi's head, but Kenobi can't do anything. Right? And you know, you know of, of course, what he says. You know what he says? What? Well, the negotiations were, we're short. short. <laughs> 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 and Kenobi's just like, "That's what you tell me." That <laughs> right. master that would have been now now John wasn't fully up on his prequel <clears throat> memes at the time but there is one prequel meme in here that John does throw in which is after the prologue in the main body of the book the first line that Kenobi says is hello there so very uh-huh. that's it, not just a meme that's like his character that's true his character that has to but, be but it he was, he was, he was, I felt, and I believe in the audiobook, he even kind of uh, alludes to the, the, the way that he says it in episode three more than the way he says it in episode four. Um, but I, I, was, I was like, they, he got that at least. Uh, uh, if this was written now, there would be so many more memes included um, uh, as references. <clears throat> but I've, I've been alluding for the last couple of weeks that I, I got into a disagreement with John about this um, in one of the Star Wars book nerds groups and um the disagreement was that about the end this is why i couldn't tell you nathan uh because it had to do with the final part of the book where i think that qui-gon should have showed up and and john is very much against that and he said for one there was a continuity reason that um the book dark lord of the sith which is written by james lucino that book establishes from the narrator's perspective that Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan never, uh, or that they, 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 they didn't start communicating until later on down the line. And that book has nothing to do with Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon or, or Tatooine. It just, it was an offhanded reference that, uh, that Lucino made in the book. And mm-hmm. that book came out first, so naturally John, because it was Legends, was kind of beholden to that. Um, in my opinion, I'm like, I don't care. Maybe, maybe that narrator just was an unreliable narrator. Because I, I still think he should have it should have happened here, um, and John also states that he didn't want the focus of the book. If he had if he had brought in Qui Gon at any point, John thinks that uh, it would have taken away the focus of the book, which is on the settlers and on their opinion of, of Obi Wan, and to bring in Qui Gon makes it more of a big Star Wars story about references and connections to things, and. Instead, he wanted it to be very self-contained and wanted it to be small, as small scale as possible, um, which I get. And you notice, at the end of the book, there's not much damage done in terms of big universe complications. For instance, let's say, let's say this book was in the canon, and let's say the Kenobi series is coming out. There's li- there's, they don't have to be like, oh man, we want to have Obi-Wan go meet with the Lars, but Obi-Wan already has ticked them off or something. If they want to establish Obi-Wan getting on the bad side of the Lars, they can still do that 
um, because this book doesn't step on toes. And so John, all of John's books, they tell good stories, but he's very careful to keep everything inside the box so that he doesn't mess it up for someone else who tells a story down the line, um, uh, which I think is one reason why this book is so beloved, because um, this book, a lot of people still think of it almost as if it actually happened in the Star Wars universe because nothing has come out to contradict it yet in the canon. And even if they change mm-hmm. things in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, they're probably not going to show what happened one month after. The Kenobi series appears to be eight, ten years in the future, so <clears throat> it probably won't have much references, and if they are, they're really superficial, I think. So this book still works kind of as a way to connect them without actually connecting them. Uh, but, Nathan, if there is a reference in the Kenobi series, what would you want it to, to be? <laughs> um, not the grocery store. Uh, <laughs> not, not, not Dano's claim. No. Um, <clears throat> part of that, the audiobook, it was, um, they have like background noise of like, right. Beeps from like checking out. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was, it, it so removed me from star Wars that I was like, what is this? <clears throat> so, that I didn't enjoy. It was like what the whole time I was like, "Why am I in a Why am I in Walmart listening to stuff? Right. <laughs> why is Star Wars taking place in in the the local Piggly Wiggly?" But <laughs> the uh, the question about what I what would I would want. Um, so it wouldn't have to be any of the characters. Maybe mm-hmm. an offhand wrench, mention. I think the one thing they'll probably mention would be the Settler's Call, if they were going to bring something in. Right, I think that's Because a- that, that has the purpose that, that they would want to include in, you know, foreshadowing that he uses later. So that would make the most sense to me. What about, what about you? I think that uh, him calling, if we're going to get anything, it'll be he'll call his EOP <clears throat> Rue, uh, which yeah. I did check, yeah. and this was the original name drop. So, like, the name came from this, and it's only ever been seen in this. So if they name dropped it, it'd be it, it would it would actually be a reference to this. It wouldn't be like ah, oh, it's showed up in some source material book that John used. No, they he would be they would be referencing him. I think that using the Oasis and Danar's claim would be a good way to reference it. You don't have to show any characters. He just has to as he's walking because we see him in some <clears throat> sort of market in the um, uh, in the uh, in the trailer. We see him doing something among other settlers. They don't mm-hmm. even if it's a, if it if the show's visualization is a little bit different from the book, them just calling it Dan R's claim, I think would be really smart. I think that's a way because that costs them nothing in the show to, to make the reference, but it gains them every they're not gonna throw people off by naming that. It's just the name of the store. But to those who have read the book, aha, that's what <clears> the <throat> reference is. So they gain, lose nothing, gain everything with that reference. One other thought before you ask Mike, um, and I'm interested in your input, but the way that we'll interpret the show may be different because of the book. Right. And we'll, we'll, some of the thoughts that go into, well, he really he developed this whole mentality of, of Kenobi's mindset. But one of the things I want to draw attention to is how he said, you know, or once the settlers got to know him and is a little bit about him, then they were just like, oh, it's just, it's just Ben Kenobi. Crazy Ben Kenobi. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> right? So taking a job that's not super out there in the middle of nowhere or 
where he's just gone and he's mysterious and interesting, that may be one of those things in the show that they address in the Kenobi Disney Plus series. Because he may have to realize, or by then, he may have realized that <laughs> if I want to hide, the best thing I can do is be around and be plain. Right. And just be like, oh, he, yeah, he's just, that's just that guy. He's always done that thing and he's crazy. And he's, yeah. yeah Other he's than not, he's not the mysterious he's, stuff. Yeah. Um, I think I think that's a smart thing. I think that's a smart direction for them to go. In, in this, he tries to be more reclusive, and his uh, his conclusion is I need to be even more reclusive to try to avoid contact with people. But I think that maybe the answer might be mm-hmm. actually le- being less reclusive, hide in plain sight, um, which might be the answer. And um, I'll throw this to Mike in a second. But I've always been talking about the two camps, and now you should understand the the John Jackson Miller camp of he never leaves Tatooine. He always stays in his little place the whole time. And then you have the Tim Zahn camp, which is what the show's going to be, where he goes off, causes a nuisance, things like that. So you will get to see back-to-back two completely polar opposite types of stories. Kenobi, the series, is going to be huge. It's going to have Vader. It's going to have new planets. It's going to have Inquisitors. It's going to be big. This... Some Tuscans, some settlers, and Kenobi on, on in the desert. That's a it's a polar opposites in the way they're handling this discussion, and I find that really interesting. Um, uh, and I will be interested to see which one you. Naturally, the TV show I think everyone is going to win everyone over because it's it's the TV show. But I'm interested to see if everyone comes away thinking, okay, yes, Obi Wan should have made a nuisance, or no, Obi Wan should have stayed hidden. So. That's a, a new debate topic that we'll have. Um, but, Mike, any references you want to see in the Kenobi show from this? Well, one, one came to mind, um, and it, it comes from one of those meditation sessions. Uh, and by the way, I, I understand, uh, Jonathan, your frustration on, on not hearing from Qui-Gon. And I, and I think the reason that, that it's so easy to relate to is because I think Obi-Wan feels it. Right. And we even <laughs> see, we, we see it. We see Obi-Wan just desperate to hear something from Qui-Gon and, and he just, and he never does. And we see how frustrating that is for him. But I also think it does, um, it contributes a great deal to this, to the sense of, uh, solitude, uh, that he really is, you know, in a sense, he's, he's alone, um, in this, although, He's not because we know Qui Gon can hear him, even though he's not responding. But there's, in the, it's one of the first meditation sessions that we see in the book, um, and, and Obi Wan is talking. Qui Gon is listening, we presume, uh, and he's talking about Anakin, and he says, "I have his lightsaber. You know, it's right here, sitting in my hands. Some nights like this, I just sit and stare at it, wondering what I could have done to help him. I look and I look for answers, then I put it away in the trunk and try to forget. And I wonder." And like you said, the, the, the series is, is told in a different timeline in terms of how much time has elapsed since the end of Episode 3. The, the book essentially happens right after. Um, and the series is going to be down the road some. But I am interested to see... You know, it would be cool, and this wouldn't even necessarily be a, a reference to this book in and of itself, but it would be neat to see Obi-Wan, um, you know, in his, in his hut on, on Tatooine and... Perhaps you know, holding Anakin's lightsaber, and maybe he's maybe he's meditating, maybe he's in conversation with Qui Gon, maybe not. But you know, just to get a picture of him um, 
you know, with with the lightsaber. Because I do think the dynamic between Obi-Wan and Anakin is going to be a hugely central part of the series. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be huge. So it'd be kind of neat to see, you know, him him holding the lightsaber as he's meditating or something along those lines. Right. I, I do think that, that that that's likely. And I think that in the series we're going to see Qui-Gon. First of all, because it's a natural... If you're gonna if you're gonna tell this story, it's obvious you bring back Liam Neeson. Uh, Liam Neeson wants to come back. Like that's that, that's I think that's the most obvious thing to do. Plus, I think well, it, he did say no no TV though, didn't he? Recently in an interview, he yes, said, but "I'm only interested in films." I no longer believe anything anyone says after Andrew Garfield. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I believe well, believe nothing. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, and I'm also holding out hope that uh, that Liam Neeson's also doing the same uh, thing. And I think that a with the check, if they wrote a big, en- I think Liam Neeson's similar to uh, Harrison Ford. You write a big enough check, he'll come back. Um, and obviously, they're throwing they're throwing money at the depends series. on how big your manners are, on how big your pocketbook is. <laughs> oh, do you know? And by the way, it's so funny that you that you make that reference because Miller referenced De- uh, was it Dex? Yeah, the yep. diner owner. He talked Dexter about him in the Jetson. book as well. Yeah, um, Obi Wan mentioned something. You know, I have a friend who runs. He had, he had cooked lunch for him and Annaline, right? And it was not great, apparently. And uh, and Obi Wan's like, you know, and she says to some bad, it's not that bad. And Obi Wan says, I have a friend who runs a diner, and he would have fired me on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's it's right after he's mentioned something about having because she had told him, hey, you tried. And Obi Wan's like, I didn't try, I did. And he's like, I have a friend who's got who's got a very you know particular view on on trying. Right. <laughs> and he's talking about Yoda. So there's lots of those cool. Um, yeah. Nathan, Nathan picked there. up on that one. He texted me. He's like, did he just reference Yoda? <laughs> I, yeah. And, I like and speaking one. of. Um, he mentions Jody, he mentions Qui-Gon, because what was Qui-Gon always telling Obi-Wan? You know, be mindful of the living force. Right. Be in the moment, right? And what was Yoda always encouraging Obi-Wan to do? And everybody else. you got to see the big picture, right? Mm-hmm. So in, in this ongoing struggle that Obi-Wan feels, big picture is Luke uh, making sure he survives, he's trained, he becomes a Jedi. Big picture, um, you know, uh, the view from 10,000 feet. And he's so Obi Wan struggling with that because that's his main responsibility. And he's also got on the other side, he's got Qui Gon, um, who, if he were speaking to Obi Wan, would probably be telling him, uh, you know, be mindful of the living force, what's around you, the, the you know the people, what's going on at Danner's claim, what's going on in the Oasis, what's going on with the Sand People. Those, those are important things too. Um, and I think Obi Wan kind of learns to appreciate, hey, look, these events that are right here on in the Oasis in, on Tatooine. Maybe they're not making an impact on a galactic scale the way the struggle between light and dark and the Empire and, 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 and how important it is to, you know, to protect and train Luke eventually. But that doesn't mean that they're not important. They are important. They're hugely important to the people that they're happening to. And I think that's one of the reasons he struggles so much about when and how much to, to get involved. And it also leads to the question of, is the galaxy worth saving as a whole if I'm not willing to protect these few small individuals, um, mm. uh, it's kind of kind of goes to the you know Infinity War. They're not willing to sacrifice one character, Vision, to save the galaxy because they still think there's there, there's still the right way to handle things. And so Obi Wan's feeling that question in the book of is is saving the galaxy worth losing my soul because I've failed to save these people when I had the obvious <clears throat> opportunity. Like, Luke, there's the potential. Luke could grow up, never use the Force, 
you know, Luke could just like totally never want it. Uh, he could he could be John uh, Snow. If, I don't want it. Uh, but if Uncle o- if yeah. Uncle Owen had had his way, right? Exactly. So uh, there's the chance that this is literally for nothing, and Obi Wan's literally looked over these atrocities for nothing. So there's it's a very complex answer, and there's not a good answer on explicitly he should do this amount. It's kind of fluid. You kind of don't know, and <clears> that's why it leads to such great discussion and debate about the book. So. Uh, one, one, my final note is that uh, I noticed one pun that, uh, that uh, Oren uh, says. At one point, he's talking about how he's very, how, how everything, the way he handles his business as well, and how because he's able to grow his business, he, the business grows because people hear about it growing and therefore want to join. So his comment is he says, <clears throat> success sells. Obviously, making a pun on sex cells so I, I thought that was funny um, so why don't we go to Mike on your rating on the book I know it's going to be very high yeah it is um, it was high the first time I read it uh, and it's, it has remained uh, it's remained up there for me it's, it's in my top 3 or 4 in terms of my favorite Star Wars books that I've read on a scale of 1 to 10 it's, it's got to be it's in the it's in the nine five range, you know, for me. It's it's on up there. Right. Nathan, what about you? <clears throat> if you go into this book with the mindset like we talked about, that it's gonna be about Kenobi, you're gonna be disappointed. It's it's about the people and how he disrupts them a little bit, you know. So like let me rate it. I I'll I'll rate I like the cover. <laughs> it was a great cover. <laughs> I like I like a lot of stuff. Um, but overall, this book did not do for me what it did for you guys. So I'm somewhere in the I could give it between a like very at the highest. I'll say a seven for me. Oh, wow. That's higher okay. than I thought. <laughs> Well, you can go lower if you want to. It won't hurt my feelings. I realize, I realize it's it's just not for everybody. But I don't want to depreciate the quality of it. I think it's a good quality book, um, and it would benefit vastly from knowing what's going on beforehand and having your expectations measured, so that you really are able to appreciate the mundane stuff instead of rushing to try and get to what you think is coming but doesn't come. There's no big crate dragon battle where, like, it kills a hundred people and right. like is tossing Tuscans left and right, and throws a bantha and you know Kenobi catches it with the force and pats its back and you know, and then he saves it and that's the you know Rue and they make happy family. No, <laughs> so I'm 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 sorry I'm, I'm weird chasing trails, but it's not the action adventure story. Right, it's something different. Manage measure your expectations. You know, for me, there there was, I don't know, there there was enough of that. Like I'm thinking of the scene where they're all in, they're all in Mos Eisley, mm-hmm. and um, you know, Annalene has gone in to, to to you know on their, it's her birthday, and Oren Galt has sent her there with the kids, and they they had just happened to meet you know Ben along the way. He's looking for a new you know part or something, so he's going into town. But they're there for that, and Oren Galt is there on, on some secret business, and he's meeting with, with, you know, with some of Jabba's henchmen, 
and Obi-Wan sees him going in, and he goes in and does some really, really awesome and cool Jedi stuff. You just don't know, like, the people that are in there have no idea what's happening. They just know that there's somebody up in the rafters, and there's, you know, very strange things going on, but he's doing some really cool and awesome stuff. There was enough of that in there for me, um, you know, to, to satisfy, because I was wanting that too. I mean, I, I, you know, I went in with those expectations as well. I guess it's a matter of whether or not you think there's enough of, of, of that in the book, and there were some, there were some scenes there that, that gave us at least a taste of that. Right. They didn't, well, as far as action scenes, though, though, I didn't think that they were written like action scenes were, or maybe they didn't translate to my brain the way that action yeah. scenes normally would. I don't know if you agree with that, but... I, I'll say this. I, I don't think that John's strength is his action scenes, particularly in Star Wars. Um, he wrote Night Errant, and he wrote A New Dawn, <clears> both <throat> books I love, especially New Dawn. is fantastic. Um, it's A New Dawn has more action, lots more action than Kenobi does, but it's more of a spy thriller than it is an action book. But his, his writing, his action writing, is much better suited to Star Trek, which is why he's done so many Star Trek novels. And the way he writes space battles in there, perfect, perfect action there. So I will say that that is, I, I, will, I will admit, that is where his, his strengths lie, not, not in Star Wars action. But still, I'm okay because I, I don't need the action personally. Um, uh, for me, 10 out of 10, loved it. Still, I mean, I have that one little gripe about Qui-Gon, but that's a minor gripe uh, compared to everything else. Uh, I do, before we leave, I want to uh, talk, discuss briefly some news that came out in the last couple of weeks. One piece of news was that Natalie Holt is going to be the composer for the overall score of the Kenobi series. Um, uh, she did, uh, most recently, the Loki series, which I thought her score and her themes in Loki were fantastic. Uh, Nathan, have you had a chance to re-listen to Loki at all since you heard this news? No, I hadn't re-listened, but um, it was it was um, a score that I really enjoyed. I think that it was really uh, so. You had this kind of winding, da 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 da. Right. It was really really repetitive kind of you know. Uh, it it was symbolic of the time travel of the twistedness of the dimensions of the. You know, all the weird things that were going on. And it also had a, some, a really powerful theme in the Loki that I liked. The one thing that I don't like about this was, you know, when I clicked on the article, and every article about Natalie Holt, the same thing, um, it always has to feel like it's obligated to start with, you know, First in, the, in the soundtrack world, in the soundtrack world, there's been oppression and there's been unfairness. And, right. And Natalie Holt is making headway. I'm like, no, let's just... Let's just, I mean, okay, let's not preach at me. Uh, just give it to the stuff, and if they do a good job, nobody cares. Right. I mean, that's the, frankly, that's the truth. Do good stuff. Nobody really cares. I, John Williams could have been a woman, and I would love everything that they did just as much. <laughs> you know? I good probably, would have loved, probably would have loved her more if, if John Williams was a girl. You know? He'd be like, marry me, you know? But um, I don't... <laughs> I'm sorry. I apologize. Okay, that's my that's my rant. Oh, okay, I was super happy because I loved her her themes there. Which side note, I hope that we can work the one of the part of the Loki themes 
uh, especially the episode two theme into a stance tune because it works so oh, well. Oh man! Um, I heard the Arkansas band do right? it, and it was rocking. Yes, the the Liberty band did it too. I tried getting a a recording really? of it, but I didn't get my phone out in time. But Liberty does it, and it's it's a really good one because you can loop <coughs> it or you can make it yeah. really short. Uh, so I'm excited, and we still have you know Williams doing the main theme for the series, but she's kind of doing what uh, mm-hmm. uh, Joe Shirley. Whatever the guy that did the the, the score for uh, Book of Boba Fett, she's doing everything else in the same way. Um, hmm. So I, I thought that was very exciting news uh, uh, to discuss. Um, so we've talked about the show. So we have not yet determined what our next episode topic is going to be, uh, but it'll it'll be something fun <laughs> as it always is. Um, uh, <laughs> but we are. Quickly approaching our two-year anniversary and our 100th episode, so there will be definitely something, something there eventually, um, which I'm excited for. But Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, yeah. guys. I always look forward to it. You guys do a great, great job. I always learn a lot when I come on the show and uh, <laughs> have a lot of fun. So. Yeah, we're definitely for sure gonna have you on for at least one episode of Kenobi discussion. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I can't mm-hmm. wait. Um, uh, so, you can find us at Simplecast. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. You can find us on Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. Our Facebook page, Two Sons of Tatooine. My YouTube channel, Jonathan Cohn. Also, uh, my book reviews at Roku Depot, which, by the way, as Mike pointed out before we started recording, Roku Depot, actually, my boss, Stephen, he uh, blurbed. Kenobi for the paperback, which was fun. So you can find my book reviews there now. And uh, until next time, I'm Jonathan. I'm Nathan, aka P. Bro. And I'm Mike. And thank you for listening to another episode of Two Sons of Tatooine. <laughs>